My goodness. A couple things real quick before I get into the Word this morning. And man, I got into the Word this week. Uh, Man, so just an update real quick. Uh, Vicki Jones, dear friend of ours, uh, in the hospital, very sick. If you haven't heard that, please be praying. Many of you are aware that she's been in the hospital uh, for many days now. Um, Update of this morning, I've been checking in with Gary every day. And uh, so this morning, they were able to get her oxygen levels down to 60%. So we're moving in the right direction. Yesterday, they were at 70%. And so God is, God is, I believe that God is going to continue to heal her and she will make a full recovery. And so I would ask that you stand in faith with me for that. In fact, let's pray right now. Lord, we lift Vicki up to you once again, Lord God. We know you've heard our prayers already. But God, we're going to beat down the door. Lord, we intercede for our friend right now. Lord, come, breathe life into her. Lord, come and be your very breath, Lord. Would you come and would you just bring complete healing to her life, Lord? We believe that you can do it, that you've done it, and that you will do it again. Lord, we place her in your hands and we thank you, Lord God, that you have her. Lord, I pray right now for Gary, Lord, that you would encourage his heart, Lord God, that you would um, break fear, Lord, from his heart, and that you would, faith would rise up in him, Lord God. And we just pray for this whole family, Lord, during this time. And Lord, we just, oh God, we pray for a testimony of your goodness and your healing and your power to come of all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep on praying. Keep on praying for Vicki, please. Um, okay, one more thing before I get into the word. Um, bittersweet. I, I, we, I feel like we keep letting people leave the church any, please, we need to have a can we have a membership class, please? And some of you sign up because it's get <laughs> uh, Tristan and Alexi. Can you guys come on up here? Um, so a few weeks ago, we we sent out um, we sent out uh, Pastor Eric and Naomi to go plant a church, and Tristan and Alexi uh, have been walking with them and have been seeking the Lord, and they are going to help plant the church with uh, with Pastor Eric and Naomi. And so I want to pray over them this morning. This is, this is a see you later. They're, you know, they're still in the community in the area. I know we'll be around, and um, I saw you sign up for the men's retreat. Yeah, so, so, like, so like if any other reason you need to hang up out at the men's retreat, you got to hang out with Tristan a bit more before he's gone to uh, this new church. But uh, man, I so believe in what God's doing with this church plant, and it's going to be amazing. And you guys, man, they're blessed to have you with them. And so God's going to use you too in mighty, mighty ways. So let's pray. Let's pray for them. Lord, I thank you right now for Tristan and Lexi, Lord. And I thank you for the gift that they are to your church. Lord God, uh, they've been a gift to this church and they're going to be a gift to Creator's Generation Church, Lord God. But overall, they're a gift to the kingdom of God. And so Lord, I pray, Lord God, as as, um, as they sow into this new work, Lord God, that you would pour out upon them, Lord God, your provision, your blessing. Lord God, I pray that you would just pour out upon them, Lord God, all that you have for them, the, the gifts, Lord God, the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, that they would begin to operate in their lives in a way like they never have before, Lord. I pray for their children, 
for their marriage, Lord God, would there be a covering over them, protect them, Lord, as they go. Lord, we love them so much, and Lord, we know that you love them even more. So we thank you, Lord God, that you're going to use them to advance your kingdom, Lord God, and I pray that that would be their mindset and their heart, Lord, that they are kingdom advancers, Lord. They already know that they are, but Lord, I pray that you would just confirm that within them today. So Lord God, we send them, Lord God, with blessing. We send them with honor, Lord God. We send them with so much gratitude for all that they have poured in to Abundant Life Community Church. Lord, I pray that uh, we would be forever knit together as a family, Lord, in the kingdom of God. And Lord, we look forward to the fruit and the good news is to come through what they have poured into this new church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Give him a hand. Mm. All right. Well, we're going to talk this morning about, uh, well, we're going to talk about the enemy this morning. And, uh, you know, there is an enemy. <laughs> there is an enemy, and it's not that person who thinks differently than you about vaccines. It's not the enemy. It's not that person who voted different than you. That's not the enemy, right? It's not that person who goes to a different church than you. Not the enemy. You see, Psalm 133 once says how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity, right? And this is the calling that God has on us is to be a people of unity, that we can link arms and advance the kingdom of God together despite lots of different thoughts, like, there's so many things to be divided on. Like, I know people that don't say Washington, they say Washington, and that's just weird. But I love them with the love of Jesus. And they're convinced that's how you say it, and that's okay. We, we, we were raised in different places. We have different accents. We have different skin colors. We have different ideas about this word, this world but our ideas should come from the word of God. And this unites us. And there is a common enemy. And we're going to talk about him today because he's a bully. And I'm sick of it. Amen. Amen. I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm done with the enemy having his way in the church. I'm just really over it. And so um, I think I just throw that out there this morning. We're going to talk about his schemes today. And I think this is really important. But I would just ask you, even just with that little first thing I said, is this is a call to every single person in this, in this room. Is this a room? In this tent. And anyone watching. And that is to check your heart. It's where's your heart toward your brothers and sisters. And where do you need to guard your heart? So let's get into the word because there's a real enemy. And um, really, as I was preparing this message, I, I I thought back to my childhood. Um, it was 1984 when this movie came out called The Karate Kid. Anyone seen it? Anyone seen The Karate Kid? The Karate Kid, and, and you hear you have this kid, Daniel LaRusso, super awkward teenager, really. I think he was actually 19. Did you know he was 19 when he shot that film? And, um, and, and why did we like Daniel? Why did we like Danny Boy? As Mr. Miyagi would call him sometimes. Why did, we, why did we like Daniel LaRusso? Well, it was because he was the underdog. Because he got bullied by Johnny Lawrence. 
He, he got picked on. He, he got beat up so many times. And, and I remember this, this underdog story so well. I mean, I remember going out to recess when I was in elementary school, and every kid out there is practicing <laughs> their crane kick. I don't think that's a legal move, but, you know, that was the thing, the crane kick. Everybody's practicing it as if it was going to, you know... I, n- no one was going to use that in a practical self-defense in their life. But we wanted to see Daniel stand up to the bully. And you get to the end of that movie and you, you cheer because he's, he's down and out and he's not going to make it and he's only got one leg left to stand on and, and he's got to defeat Johnny. He's got to defeat the bully, the one who's cheating. He's cheating at the game. He's playing underhanded. He's playing dirty. And we got to see the good guy win. But this is the way movies are, right? Because the, the kind of movies we want to watch, at the end, finally, the good guy finally wins. And it's amazing because that's how the Bible ends too, is that the good guy wins. The church wins. Jesus wins, even when there's a bully. And so let's look at our text today. This is, is this our last message? I'm trying to think here. No, I think there's one more. Let's see. I don't even know where I'm at. I've been studying First Peter for so long now, I don't even know how much we have left. I think this might be the last message of this series. Um, we'll see. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, uh, you can get out your, by the way, if you want to follow along with notes, get your church app out, Abundant Life Ordering. Men pretend to be taking notes. Sign up for the retreat while I'm preaching. Okay. Uh, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I come before you this morning, Lord, and I pray that you would put your words in my mouth, Lord God, as we really expose the ways of the enemy. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see what is happening before us and that you would open our eyes to see how to combat the plans of the enemy and how to live in victory and how to resist the works of the enemy in our life and in our world, Lord God. I pray that you would make us a powerful and effective people standing in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's talk about the bully. Peter uses, I call him the bully, and the reason I call him the bully is because these words that Peter uses to describe him, these words are used to describe him. The first word he uses is the word adversary. Adversary. Now, uh, this morning, we're going to look at, at quite a bit of original language, which this was written in Greek, and so we'll look at some, some Greek. We're going to look at some other scriptures that support this, because I want you to really clearly understand, because we can just say like, um, you know, Jesus good, devil bad, love Jesus, and that could be the end of the theology. But yet, there's so much more that he wants us to understand and know, because he wants us to know what it is that we are fighting so that we can fight the right battles and we can fight the right way. So he says he's an adversary. This Greek word, antidikos, it means this. It means opponent or adversary. So it is an opponent. And this word in this context 
was used in this time when this book was written, First Peter, when this letter was written to the church. It was used, this was the word that they would use, this word adversary opponent, was for a lawyer who argued a case in court. So if you were taken to court by someone and there was a prosecutor that is prosecuting you that is trying to get you in jail, this, they would have an antidikos, this lawyer would come and they would argue their case against you. This is a prosecutor who vehemently accuses someone in order to imprison them. Let me say that again. It is a prosecutor who vehemently accuses someone in order to imprison them. That is the first description that Peter gives us. And so we know that the enemy is going to bring up your past. He's going to remind you of your failures, your mistakes, your shortcomings, and we all have them. He is the accuser. This is what he does, is he accuses. We, we know this from Revelation 10, and we know how it ends. We know that he eventually loses all say, that he gets kicked out of the court. In Revelation 12, 10, John says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. So, just, I want to spoil the end of the book for you, the end of the story. Jesus comes back and he takes authority over all things. This is what's going to happen, right? And so he's go, the devil's going to be thrown down, thrown out. But in the meantime, what's happening is that he is the accuser of our brothers, of our brothers and sisters, and he accuses day and night before God. He is an accuser. So the good news is, is that he loses in the end. But for now, you've got to recognize that there is an accuser. There is someone that accuses you. You probably realize this. You probably have walked through your life and you realize in moments that you have these thoughts that would say, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not, I, I shouldn't, why would God use me? I can't pray to God. Why would God answer my prayers? I've done too many things wrong. And we have these thoughts and these places of guilt and shame that we are accused of. And that is what he is doing is he is accusing us. But it's not just accusations of things we've done, because I think we can all agree that there are things that we have done. We have been unkind to someone. We have lied to someone. We have maybe done lots of terrible things. We don't need to list the list. You've got your own. And God is hopefully delivered you from those things, but that doesn't mean you don't know that they're still back there. And so he will accuse us of these things, but he goes beyond just accusing us of our past failures. He says, your adversary, the devil. Now this is an important word because he doesn't just accuse us of what we've done wrong. He's also a false accuser. He also makes stuff up. This word for, in the Greek for devil is the word diabolos, diabolical. Diabolos, a slanderer and a false accuser. So he doesn't just accuse you, he falsely accuses you. He lies about your position and your status with God. He lies about it. He lies about who it is that you are in Christ Jesus. And so this is a false accusation, a deceiver. Satan is a deceiver. Don't expect that when you hear the lies of the enemy, they're just going to make a bunch of things. Oh, just, he's just shoot straight. He doesn't shoot straight. He is a deceiver. He is a false accuser. And he lies. Imagine getting taken to court and being charged with something, and you didn't, you didn't do it at all. And all of a sudden, 
this prosecutor is producing all of this evidence that you know is made up. Like it has to be made up because you weren't even there at the time the crime happened. And yet this is what he does. He's a false accuser. He is full of underhanded schemes. 2 Corinthians 2, 11, the second half says this. Paul writes, For we are not unaware of his schemes. We're not unaware of his schemes. Paul calls the devil a schemer. This word in the Greek is neomata, and it means a mind that is scheming, calculating, conniving, devious, shrewd, sly, or clever. He's no dummy. He is conniving, and he is devious. And we've got to pay attention, and we'll get to that in a moment. But the third description, I think I want to know who we're... We're not going to spend this whole time talking about who he is. We're going to talk about how to defeat. All right? But one more, one more piece that Peter uses. And this is just out of this book. We could, we could jump into other words where Jesus says that the thief comes to kill and to steal and destroy. And if you don't see that happening in your world right now, open your eyes. Because killing is happening. Stealing is happening. Bethany and I were talking about this just last night and seeing that people are dying, literally dying. People's peace is being stolen. He's destroying unity in the church. We can't have it. Peter says, third, he's a roaring lion. You know lions roar to intimidate? It's an intimidation tactic. They don't just roar so that the opening scene of the movie can start. Have you ever seen the MGM movie? That's not the purpose. They roar to intimidate. Or to scare. It is to, the lion's roar is to confuse and paralyze their prey with fear. So that when they come upon the prey, and what they'll do is they'll sneak up, and then they will roar to intimidate. This is what bullies do, is they intimidate, and they roar, and their prey freezes instead of fights, because they hear that loud, loud roar. And they're paralyzed with fear. There's no way out of this. There is no way out of this, they think. It says that he is prowling around looking for his next target of intimidation. This happened in Paul's life as well. He writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He's telling Timothy the story. He says, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and that all Gentiles might hear it. And he says, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. I was delivered from the lion's mouth. That the enemy roared. He says, the Lord, in verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Do I have that verse up there? Will you just, I want you to just say this out loud over your own life, starting with the Lord will rescue me. Can we just say that out loud together? Let's say it. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. This is the word of the Lord over your life. This is how God loves you. This is how God sees you, is that he will rescue you. And just as Paul was delivered from the lion's mouth, so you will too be delivered from the lion's mouth. You might feel like you're in a place right now where the enemy is roaring at you so loud, but I got to tell you something, you're not going to be devoured because you have, 
You have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You have the one on your side who is far above every power and rule and authority on heaven and on earth. And so the lion will roar and God will rescue you. Bethany pointed out a few weeks ago, she said, remember if a lion is roaring, there's nothing in his mouth. You are not in the mouth of the lion. The lion is intimidating you. The enemy wants to intimidate you. He wants to accuse you. He wants to lie to you. And he wants to intimidate you. That's the strategy of the enemy. Has that ever happened to you in your life? (laughs) When you're trying to live for God and you recognize, my goodness, the enemy is trying to disqualify me. Have you ever been following God and at one moment thought, you know what? I'm not qualified for this. Or someone says, will you pray? Or will you, will you go lead a ministry? And you say, I'm not qualified. Because you're believing the accuser, the prosecutor. And if that doesn't work, if he doesn't disqualify you, he slanders you. He accuses you. And if that doesn't work, he intimidates you. So what are you going to do? How are you going to overcome? Peter is going to tell us some strategy this morning. And I think let's pay careful attention to it because we can win. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can overcome? Or I'll ask you again at the end, and hopefully we have a lot more people that are excited about that answer. <laughs> that's right. That's why I'm preaching the message. I want you to know. First thing you do is... All right. First thing he says to do is the same thing you tell your teen driver when they first get behind the wheel. What do you tell them? Pay attention. Just pay attention. It's amazing how quickly we can defeat the enemy by simply paying attention. Just paying attention. He says two things here. He says, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. To be calm, collected, and aware. Do you know what it means to be sober? Okay, do you know what it means to not be sober? Sober, in fact, he says, be sober. There's an inference here. The original word in the Greek just says sober. It doesn't say sober-minded, but the inference is that in our mind, in our thinking, in our awareness, that we are sober. But sober, sober, this word here, is literally the same word. It's a reference to abstaining from drinking too much. That's what he says. Don't drink too much. But he's talking about it here in our minds. What do you call someone who's drank too much? They are under the influence. They're under the influence. And when you are under the influence of something that causes your mind to be compromised, you lose your ability to pay attention. This is why when I was in school, they would have those, they would bring in those wrecks to the school, like the the car accidents, and then they would bring in a simulator, and they would have you get behind the simulator and drive this car, and they would blur it out so you couldn't see, so that your reflexes were really slow, and they would simulate what it was like to be drunk behind the wheel. I'm not going to ask who's been drunk behind a wheel, but who's been in the simulator that's been drunk behind the wheel? Anyone else ever try that? It's pretty awesome, except it's terrifying. Because what happens is when you are under the influence, you lose your ability to pay attention. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. There's sound principle right there. But he says, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be under the influence of wine. 
but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be under the influence of the world's ways. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be under the influence of the division that's all around you, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be under the influence of reading the things that you know you shouldn't be reading, watching the things you shouldn't be watching. Don't be under the influence and let your life be guided by your social media, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. What are we under the influence of? What are we allowing to influence us? What when we read or hear about absolutely causes us to panic and to fear? What is it in our lives that we are under the influence of? Because if you are under the influence of the things of this world, if you're under the influence of the ways of the enemy, if you are under the influence of sin in your life, you aren't sober-minded. And you will not recognize the adversary when he attacks. You just simply will not. What are you under the influence of? What are you under the influence of? I'll tell you what, like, I remember when I was a kid, my mom was, I think she's here, always telling us, like, what music you listen to matters. Like, what you put in your head matters. And as a kid, you're like, ah, you know, whatever, you know. And then you realize, and then you have kids, and you realize it was true. And you don't realize it until later, but what happens is is music is so powerful because it's easy to memorize things, right? And so you begin to just sing lyrics because they're catchy, right? And then your parents walk in the room and the lyrics switch from the lyrics to, you know, because you don't want to say what actually said, right? But are you under the influence of something? Come on, what what did, um, let me ask those who are at camp, what did Wes say? Remember Pastor West came in and preached? And he said, it's either, what did he say, stealing from God? Does anyone remember this quote? Come on now, somebody pay attention, Cam. He's talking about your thoughts, and he was talking about whether something is stealing you away from God. Something close. Hey, Pastor Mike was paying attention, right? The things that you are under the influence of they're either going to steal you away from God or they're going to draw you close to God. What are you under the influence of? The, adverse, the adversary wants you to not be paying attention, but we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to what's really happening. We've got to stop looking at the symptoms of the problems in our world and start getting down to the root of what's really happening. We need to stop looking at the people that we're mad at and the people in authority that you might be frustrated with and start looking below the surface and say, okay, if I'm a, if I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, then what is my real enemy up to? And how can I stand against? That's the stuff we need to be looking at. The second thing he says when you pay attention, he says, be watchful. This word watchful is to vigorously stay awake and alert. Vigorously stay awake and alert. Remember when Jesus was praying, he told his disciples, he said, keep watch. The exact same word in the Greek, keep watch. He wanted them to stay awake and to be alert. Why? Because he was about to be arrested imminent danger was upon them. So Jesus said, would you keep watch while I go pray? Because 
Jesus knew that danger was coming, that they were coming for him. And what did the disciples do? They fell asleep on the job. They couldn't stay awake. Jesus would come out and he'd say, you can't stay awake just for a little while. And then he'd go back and pray. He'd wake them up. But they hit the snooze button and they went right back to sleep again. And, and he was trying to contend and pray and go to the Father. And his disciples, they fell asleep on the job. But here's, here's what I need you to know. This is so important, church, that if the church falls asleep on the job, the enemy will destroy it from the inside out. It will happen. If we continue to focus on the wrong things, if we are looking in the wrong places, if we are under the influence of all the things of this world, if we are just going through life and going, yeah, whatever, yeah, I know, Satan's out there somewhere. But listen, if we fall asleep on the job and we stop paying attention, the enemy will destroy the church from the inside out. I know of several churches that have closed in the last two years. And, and I know churches that closed before COVID, right? BC. <laughs> I'm just hoping for an AD. <laughs> after, after deliverance. Um, but listen, we can't fall asleep on the job. God is doing a revival in this church. And we have got to keep watch. We have got to be sober-minded. We have got to pay attention because if we don't, he will start sowing division and confusion and frustration. If the church falls asleep, he'll distract her from her mission and he will steal and he will kill and he will destroy. And so we've got to stay awake regarding the enemy. And this is the first strategy that, that Peter gives us. It's a simple one. Have a clear mind and pay attention. Can we not all do that? I don't know how to do spiritual warfare and I don't know all the scriptures and have a clear mind and pay attention. Stay awake. Can we all, we can all do that. You don't need a Bible degree. You don't need to have memorized any scripture. You can stay awake and you can pay attention and you can say, God, would you show me? Can you show me Lord God when the enemy is moving? Because listen, if you're not paying attention, you won't be able to crane kick that you won't work. He'll get right by you. So he says, pay attention. The second thing we get down to, he says in verse nine, resist him standing firm in your faith. Let's just dig into this a little bit. This message I titled the resistance because I believe that's what our, should be our stance against the enemy. It's a resistance. It's a resistance. Peter tells us the number one strategy to defeat the enemy after we've paid attention and we've stayed awake, we see what's going on, is that it is simple, steadfast resistance. Sounds too easy, doesn't it? Just resistance. Let's look at this word. I'm going to break down this word. It's the Greek word antihistamine. Now, we know what anti means, so let's look at the first part. Histamine means to set into place, to make firm or established, to uphold or sustain the authority or force of anything. It's when Paul writes the Ephesians, when he's talking about the armor of God, and he says in that little section of scripture, stand firm then. And then he says, stand firm with the belt of truth. He says, stand over and over. He's using the same word, histamine. He's saying to set it in place, to make it firm, establish it, uphold, sustain the authority or force of anything, of Jesus Christ. 
But here Peter says, he adds an anti in here, which means against or opposed to. So we are to stand firm in the authority of Jesus against the evil one, against the enemy. So to resist would be to uphold the authority of Jesus over the enemy. See, I think sometimes we overthink this. We give the enemy too much credit. We think that we are somehow powerless against his ways. But here's what happens. When we resist the enemy, we are standing in the victory that Jesus has already taken. We are standing in the victory that Jesus has already taken. When we look at this and we say, man, when I think about Satan, that's kind of like, you know, he's got, he's got a lot of power and he's, got, he's made a lot of messes and he's messed up a lot of people and a lot of marriages and a lot of lives and there's been a lot of killing. But listen, when we deal with Satan as a Christian, we deal with him as a conquered foe who can and must be personally resisted. That we approach our resistance to the ways of the enemy, with an attitude, with a mindset of he's already lost. That is the position in Christ Jesus. That is the authority that Jesus has given us. He said, all authority has been given to me. Now go. He places his authority in the believer. He's already been defeated. James 4, 7, he says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and here's the promise, and he will flee from you. He will flee. Now, you might need to resist for more than just 10 seconds. You might need to resist for more than just 10 minutes. You might need to resist for more than just 10 days. But I promise you that if you resist the ways of the enemy, when he starts lying, when he starts cheating, when he starts stealing, when he starts deceiving, when he starts accusing, if you resist and you start to speak the truth over your life, no, this is who Jesus says that I am. This is the authority that God's word says that I have in Christ Jesus. I am not defeated. I am worthy. In fact, I don't have to be worthy because Jesus made me worthy. It's not because I did enough. So when the enemy comes to you and says, you're not worthy, you don't need to get into an argument with the enemy. You can just go ahead and agree. You're right. And it doesn't matter because Jesus is worthy on my behalf. Amen. You see, we've got to begin to resist the enemy. And here's what Peter tells us. And this is so great. You're not alone. You are not alone. He says here that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the whole world. And I think we would acknowledge even in our church today in Orient, Washington, that there are some brothers throughout the world that are struggling and suffering even way more than we are. A lot more than we are. But here's the thing, I want you to keep this perspective. Don't try to be a martyr, okay? Just because someone else in this world is suffering more than you doesn't mean you're not suffering, Okay? So, so, so we say things, we say things as Christians and we say, well, I mean, that's not really persecution. You want to see real persecution? Then talk to the Egyptian Coptics who were beheaded. I agree. That's way worse. That is real persecution, right? But you might be experiencing per persecution. And even if it's on the tiniest little level, you're still experiencing it. And so you need to stand firm in the Lord. 
And you need to not allow the enemy to discourage you and to bring fear into your life. Resist the enemy, but don't try to do it alone. Don't try to do it alone. If you are in a place in your life where you are stuck in an addiction, don't try to do it alone. First of all, you need Jesus. And secondly, you need other people in your life to walk this out with you. Don't try to do it alone. This is a reminder Peter is giving us saying, listen, you're not alone in this. You are not alone. And this should be an encouragement to us, not a discouragement to go, my goodness, people are suffering all over the world. Listen, we are not in it alone. And when we stand here as a church and we pray for the nation of Afghanistan, we partner with them. And in the heavenly places, we are declaring, brothers and sisters, you are not alone. We will contend with you. We will pray for you. We will go to the throne of God on your behalf. You are not alone. Other people are going through what you're going through. You know, the enemy, <laughs> you look at the way, like if you ever watched like a National Geographic of lions hunting, they, they wait and they wait for a herd to come through and then they pull one out of the herd and they isolate it. Like, you could look at videos of animals fighting back against lions. Those videos are funny. You know what that is? That's a bunch of animals, and they, the herd stays, and they fight back. But see, when we are out alone, when we believe I'm the only one with this problem, I'm the only one who has this thought. I, I mean, I am, how gross, how despicable, how could I, how could, this, no one else must think like I do. No one else could have done what I've done. You are not alone. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, you didn't invent a new sin. It's not possible. There's some really bad ones in the Bible. Really bad ones. And our world has come up with other, tons and tons of variations. But you didn't invent anything. You aren't the first person to ever deal with that problem, and you aren't the only one. And you've got to get out of that place of isolation, out of that place of darkness. And you need to realize that you are not alone in this. And as I talked about last week in our message, that our role as a church, our role, my role as a pastor, is simply to link arms with you and go to Jesus with you. And so when you get into those places where you feel like, wait, I'm the only one dealing with this, then you grab a brother or sister in Christ and you say, will you come to Jesus with me? Because I need someone by my side. That doesn't mean, now let's, let's this is, I'm going to tangent here for a second. Christian, God did not ask you to take on the burden of every other person in this world. So, so when I, can I use you for example? Can you come up here? So listen, Levi, come on up here. All right. I'm going to borrow your backpack, thanks. That's cool, it's champion. So I'm struggling. I've got some weight on my life. And um, it's, it's, I put things in this pack that I wouldn't want God to see. Things have been said to me. They make me feel so worthless, it's weighing me down. So I grab my brother, Edwin. You're going to be Jesus in this story, all right? <laughs> I grab my brother, Edwin, and I say, I can't do this anymore alone. I need you with me. I need you to help me, because you see this thing on my back. I can't carry it. And I, and I take this, 
And my tendency is to say, hey, will you hold this for me? (laughs) And his tendency, because he loves people, is to say, can I just hold this for you? But here's the right response, is that he takes me and he says, here, let's let him hold this for us. And this is what the church should look like is that when you go to a brother or sister, they don't, you don't take on their burden. You say, here, can we just take the burden and can we just give it to Jesus together? That's how the body of Christ works. Thank you, guys. And have a seat. We are the resistance when we stand together. We are the resistance against the enemy when we come together. Victory over the devil happens both personally and collectively standing our ground. It happens when we lock arms and we stand firm in our faith together. Because I'm going to be honest, some days I don't have enough faith. Oh no, I should go to a new church. The pastor doesn't have enough faith sometimes. Some days you don't have enough faith and you need someone to stand firm with you. And you need to say, look, I know my face there. I'm not feeling my faith. It's okay. Do you know it's okay if you don't feel like you got enough faith today? We lock arms and we say, we're going to stand firm in faith together. And I go to my brother Edwin and I say, will you pray for me? And he prays for me. And when he prays for me and God begins to show him things and he begins to say, pray over me. And all of a sudden I'm like, my goodness, I don't know where that came from, but that's exactly what the Lord, I needed to hear from the Lord right now. And all of a sudden he stirred my faith up. And my faith is all of a sudden firm again. And that's what it's going to take to resist the enemy. Resisting requires immovable faith. He says, stand firm in your faith. Resist him, stand firm in your faith. Church of your faith is wishy-washy. Now, I don't mean like, do I have enough faith? I mean, if your faith is wishy-washy, like, well, I don't know. I mean, I kind of, I believe in God. I I mean, I kind of believe God could do it. I mean... Sometimes I pray when things get hard. I mean, I go to God. I mean, I've, I Googled 10 things first and I couldn't find the answer. So um, I called three friends and they didn't know either. So then I, I, um, I asked my dog and he wouldn't answer me back. And then I decided I should probably pray. Like that's not, that's wishy-washy faith. Like when we just go to God when it's convenient or when we need him. I hope we're going to God in faith when we're at our strongest, highest places and at our lowest places. That's what faith looks like. And if our faith is wishy-washy, then the resistance isn't going to do a thing for us. It's going to be a futile effort. God, I, I, I think you got the victory over the enemy. But man, it feels like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have, I'm powerless over the enemy. I don't know if I can do this. I'll just give in, I guess. Maybe next time. See, if that's the type of faith that we have, the resistance will be futile. And so we go to our friends and we go to our church and we say, will you stand together with me because I need an immovable faith because what the enemy is pressing in on me right now, I've got to stand. The kind of faith where we know that we know that we know that Jesus has already conquered the foe. That we know that we know that we know that the power of death was broken on the cross. Amen? That we know that the enemy was thrown down when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, that he's already been defeated. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will deliver you? Uh, We got to believe. Do you believe that nothing can separate you from the love of God? 
I'm just telling you the scripture here. Do you believe that no weapon formed against you will prosper? That's what God's word says. Do you believe that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Do you believe that? This is God's word, and we need to get God's word in us. I mean, just those scriptures right there. If you need it, say them over and over in your life. Do you believe? I believe, God, nothing can separate me from your love. I believe that no weapon formed against me will prosper. I believe, Lord God, that you are greater than he is in the world, and you are in me, Lord. This is the word of God, and this is where we begin to stir and activate our faith and stand our ground. Because we are in a time in this world where spiritually, spiritually, we've got to stand our ground. And when we do, the promise is here. I want to close with this. The promise is here. When we do, when we be watchful, when we're sober-minded, when we're paying attention, when we resist, when we stand in faith, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, he himself will restore you. He himself will confirm you. He himself will strengthen you. He himself will establish you because to him is the dominion, the power, and the authority forever and ever and ever. You resist and let God do the rest. Resist. You resist. Man, I want to say this to that person right now. Resist. I want to go do this thing that I know that God has already set me free from, but I want to go back there. Resist. Man, I, I want out of this relationship. If that's your marriage you're talking about, resist. If it's a toxic one, well, maybe don't resist. Ask the Lord. Resist the enemy. We have got to be the resistance. I refuse to allow the enemy to come into the middle of this church and disrupt what the Lord is doing. Because the Lord is birthing a revival in this church. And I'm, CT, thank you for sharing this morning. Men, seriously, get there. God is doing a revival in this church. He is reviving hearts. And out of a revival, you know, a revival is God stirring his people. A revival is God alerting us, bringing us to faith. Out of a revival, awakening is birthed. And what awakening is, is awakening is when the world, when those who don't know Christ wake up from the dead and come to life. And God's doing it right here. Like, who would have thought Ording, Washington. Maybe you don't live in Ording, Washington. Maybe it's Puyallup or Graham or Buckley or South Prairie or Sumner, Tacoma or Spanaway or wherever. Can you believe that God is actually birthing a revival right in that place where you are? Because if you have invited the Lord into your life, if you have asked him to come and fill and dwell with you, man, I'm one of the most memorable things I've ever heard. Jerry Cook, just an amazing four-square pastor, he passed away several years ago. He said, where you are, God is. So take him with you. 
Resist the enemy. He will flee from you. God is doing an incredible work, and he is calling us as a church to stand, to stand against the plan of the enemy, to stand against all of his tactics. And if you're in a place in your life today where you're saying, man, I have been getting lied to, I've been getting accused, I've been getting falsely accused, I've been deceived, I've been getting drug around, and I don't feel like I can resist. And I want to encourage you this morning. Mike's going to start playing here in just a second. I'll stop talking. Get on up front here and let us pray with you. Because I want to stand with you and I want to hand that backpack to Jesus. We can resist. Will you just tell someone next to you, you can resist. Will you tell someone else around you, you can resist. Church, we're the resistance. Let's stand together today as we close. Would you close your eyes and would we just, can we just pray for a moment? As I pray, if you want prayer this morning, you're saying, you know what? I've got some things in my life, some places in my life, some thoughts right now. I need to be the resistance. I need to resist. I need to be encouraged this morning. Would you just make your way to the front? We want to pray for you. Lord God, we come right now before you. Lord, and we declare, God, your church is the resistance. We will resist the evil one. We will not believe the lies any longer. Lord, we will not stand for, the, for those lies to be told. We will be people that stand in truth and in victory and in power and in love and of a sound mind. We won't live according to the fear and the anxiety and the, the, the intimidation that the enemy wants to throw our way. But Lord God, we will stand in your victory and in your power and in your authority, Lord God. Oh Lord God, empower us. Embolden us to be the resistance, Lord God. That we would be a people, that people would look at our lives and say, my goodness, you didn't let Satan win because you stood firm. And so we stand firm in faith, in your power, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you come and be prayed for this morning?